Welcome to another inspirational message from Chowdean Community Church, Gateshead. For more information about Chowdean, visit www.chowdean.org.uk. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Thank you, Terry. So as Terry says, today we're looking at the last of our Becoming a Person of Purpose series. We've looked at six weeks of God's purpose in our lives, and then four weeks looking at our purpose. So I hope you've all enjoyed the series, and that you've gained something of an insight into God and yourself. Now for the summer, we're going to be looking at a teaching series called God Uncovered. Some years ago, we had a family in the church, Nick and Sarah Matthews, and their two boys, Daniel and Joseph, and they went to work with YWAM in Australia, and recently, Nick had a book published, 30,000 Sunrises and the Question of Identity. Now, he, he talks in the book about the kind of things that obscure or distort our view of God, such as fear or doubt or entitlement. And I wrote to Nick and said, was it okay if we use some of his ideas for the summer series? And he was delighted that we would be doing that. So I hope that when we get to the summer series, you're going to be really blessed by that as well. So this is our final look at God's purpose and our purpose. And our purpose is to serve God with reverent fear. Now, I've never been to Bible college or had any official training in preaching But I know that sermons have to have five key things. An introduction, three main points, and a conclusion. So I looked at the title for today and I thought, three main points. That'll be serving, God, and reverent fear. So that's the introduction over. So the first point is serving. Now when the Salvation Army came to play at the carol service, Major Mark said that the two S's that they have on their lapels didn't stand for salvation or salvation army, but saved to serve. That's their motto. They're not saved by serving, but saved to serve. And I do want to make it clear right at the outset that we, are, we cannot gain favor with God by serving in the church or doing good deeds. The Bible is clear that relationship with God Entry into heaven is not by anything that we can do. It's not by being a nice person, not by attending church, not by living a good life. It is simply trusting in the finished work of the Lord Jesus on the cross. We sang this morning, only by grace are we worthy. And salvation is about trusting Jesus, not about works of service. I don't think I really need to encourage folk in this church to serve This is a great church for serving. It's a great church for getting things done. So much goes on week by week by groups, by individuals in the name of this church. And sometimes we look for big things to do, whereas Jesus just took a towel and washed the feet of the disciples. And I'm looking around and I'm thinking, you know, the needles and pins group, they don't often get a mention but they've been sewing and knitting garments for over 20 years. For many years, the garments went overseas, mostly to Africa, but to other parts of the world. So we've long been a church with a global reach. And so much is done that is unseen. There's the people who set up for the tea every week. There's the people on the sound desk. Doreen, who collects the 
money and sorts out the church finance. Sheila, who organizes the church weekend for us, lots of work. And people who just send encouraging little cards or visit people. There's so much that goes on by individuals that we just rarely hear about. The point I want to stress this morning is not so much about what we do, but our attitude whilst doing it. Are we serving God from the right motivation? As soon as Colin and I were saved, that was in 1983, 1984, we wanted to serve in the church. That was out of gratitude to Jesus for all that he'd done and because the people were so kind to us. Now, we started on Tuesday evenings at the ministry meetings by washing the dishes. And then we moved on to be youth leaders. And over the years, I've had various roles within the church and enjoyed doing it with a right heart. However, Oswald Chambers says, Beware of anything which competes with loyalty to Jesus Christ. The greatest competitor of devotion to Jesus is service for Jesus the one aim of the call of God is the satisfaction of God, not a call to do something for him. Are we more devoted to service than to Jesus? And it's a danger and a snare to become so involved with the task that we lose sight of the original purpose. And I think I've mentioned this before, but I have fallen into that trap myself. When Colin and I returned from Africa, that was in 2007, I was invited to join the leadership of the church and was appointed ministry team leader, which had responsibility for planning the Sunday services. Now, it was a privilege for me to be working with John, who was our pastor at the time. And I loved the work. I like planning, I like organizing, I like administration, and I quite like being bossy. So then, some years ago, there was a major change in the church and I was no longer in that role. I confess it was largely my own doing, but I went into a huff. And Oswald Chambers says, and I'm a big fan of Oswald Chambers like Janice, he said, growth in grace stops the minute we get huffed. And he's absolutely right. We get huffed because somebody appears to speak sharply, or we feel like we're not being appreciated, or we're not being valued, or we're being criticized. And I know that some of you here are far too nice to be get huffed ever. And I'm ashamed to say that I struggled with my huff for more than two years. I really didn't like myself very much, and I was thoroughly disagreeable to God. But I love the Lord Jesus for being patient with me and helping me to realize that my pride had caused me to value my position in the church more than I valued the one I was supposed to be serving. It was about ego. It was about self-satisfaction, about self-worth and security, which should all be found in my relationship with Jesus, not in the work that I was doing. I'm encouraged that other people, people, you know, greater Christians than I, who, people who write Bible studies and speak at big conferences, sometimes confess to the same sort of bad attitude. I was doing a Bible study by a lady called Cynthia Heald on the subject of pride, and I read this. My idol of being noticed, acknowledged, and having prestige rose up and asked me to bow down and pay homage. To worship this idol required me to think about poor left-out little me, 
to compare myself to others. It asked me to be ambitious and seek the spotlight. I immediately began to pray and truth flooded my soul. Deny yourself. Rejoice when others succeed. Have no selfish ambition. Seek first the kingdom of God. All pride is idolatry. So I'm glad that there are other people who sometimes feel the same way as me. And I'm delighted to say that Jesus saves us not just from our sin, but also from ourselves. And I look around this morning and I am so glad to be part of this fellowship. I am so thankful that I am part of this family and that I belong here. Now, I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't enjoy our service. God gives us gifts for the benefit of others. I'm just making the point, our service inspired by love of God and not self-promotion. I can use my God-given gifts to serve in the church, but I've learned and I'm conscious of what I need to say no to and making sure that I keep my eyes fixed on Jesus. If we think for a moment about the home that Jesus liked to visit, the home of Mary and Martha, two sisters. Now Martha was huffing and puffing about all the work that needed to be done in preparing the food, getting everything ready for Jesus to visit. Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to him. Just listening, just listening to Jesus talk. And Jesus said that Mary had chosen the better way. But Martha resented her sister for not helping. Yes, the work still had to be done, but Martha's attitude was wrong. She wasn't doing the work with a glad heart. And again, Oswald Chambers says, Jesus Christ called service what we are to him, not what we do for him. When we had our first ladies' fashion show, I was the self-appointed team leader, and I wanted everything to be done with excellence. At the dress rehearsal, the girls were having such a laugh, such a lot of fun. I was downstairs fussing about getting all the clothes onto rails in the right sizes, making sure everything was labelled and all the rest of it. I could hear the girls laughing upstairs as they tried on different outfits and practised walking up and down the catwalk to the music. But I didn't join in and I missed out. And I realised after that that if I can't do things with a glad heart, then I shouldn't be doing them. So I handed over the organisation of the next fashion shows to others and they were really excellent. Plus, I had a great deal of fun just helping with the admin where I could and being one of the models, which was much more fun. So that's serving, doing it with the right attitude. Point two, God, serving God. Now, we're not talking here about God with a little g. We're talking about God with a capital G, the one true God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Just consider creation for a moment. Compared to the sun, to, to, compared to the earth, the sun is huge. And yet there are stars much bigger than our sun. The sun is 1,400,000 kilometers wide. But there are several which are billions of times larger in volume than our sun. There's one that's 2.9 billion times bigger than our sun. The Milky Way galaxy, which is where we live, is approximately 100,000 light years in diameter. Now, to be honest, it's all beyond me. I'm still thinking in feet and inches. I'm completely lost because that's roughly 950 kilometers with 50 
15 notes after it. The Milky Way galaxy is huge. Earth is a tiny speck, but there are far bigger galaxies, and each galaxy contains billions of stars, each star orbited by its own planets. The Hubble telescope has taken a picture containing thousands of galaxies, each galaxy containing thousands of stars, each star orbited by its own planets, and that picture was just in a small patch of sky. Now, I say all this, which is beyond my understanding, because when I consider the vastness of God and think that he created it all, it is huge. And, you know, I think about those amazing wildlife programs we see on television, creatures in the depths of the sea, in jungle areas and, and plants you'd never dreamed of. And how do they know how to do things at the appropriate time? Do you know, I saw one, and there were hermit crabs. And hermit crabs, apparently, are soft-bodied. They don't have a shell. So they're very vulnerable um, because of their soft bodies. I mean, they can get eaten very easily. So they go and they take a shell off the seashore and put it on themselves. The problem with that is they outgrow the shells. So when a new shell washed up on the beach, I saw this on the television, the crabs all went down to the beach and the biggest crab took off his shell and took on the biggest one that had just arrived, the new shell. And then they passed the shells down the row so that everybody in the row got a new shell and there wasn't an estate agent in sight. <laughs> so we sing... Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the works thy hand has made, awesome wonder has got to be the only response. And it's not just the world that we see. There's so, so much more. We are tiny, just a small speck on a small planet in a vast universe. And yet we are the ones that Jesus chose to die for. We are the ones that God sent his son to die for. The hymn goes on to say, And when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in, that on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. We have to acknowledge, my God, how great thou art. Now, I watched a really interesting YouTube clip where an academic from an aeronautical university in America asked an evangelical Christian, all right then, where did God come from? And how can a spiritual force have any impact on a material universe? I would have liked to have shown you the clip, but honestly, this man presents this case in five minutes and he speaks so quickly to get it all in. It's difficult to catch his answer. But basically, he says, we're asking the wrong question. The God of the Bible is not affected by time, space, or matter. If he were affected by those things, he would not be God. Time, space, and matter are a continuum, and they all have to come into existence at exactly the same instant, simultaneously. If you had matter but no space, where would you put it? If there was no time, when would you put it? In the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis, it says, in the beginning, time, God created the heavens, space, and the earth, matter. It's a trinity of trinities. 
Time is past, present, and future. Space is height, width, and length. Matter is solid, liquid, gas. The God who created the universe is outside of the universe. He's above it and beyond it, through it, filling it, but he's not affected by it. And that is the God that we worship, far more than anything we can think or imagine, vast beyond measure, and yet intimately involved with his creation, to the point that he knows every sparrow that falls to the ground. The very hairs on your head are numbered. When I was at school, I was hopeless at maths. I could always get top marks in English. I'm very good with words, but numbers, too scary. But I love the message translation of Romans 9. It says, If each grain of sand on the seashore were numbered, and the sum labelled chosen of God, they'd still be numbers and not names. Salvation comes by personal selection. God doesn't count us. He calls us by name. Arithmetic is not his focus. So consider the vastness of the universe and the God who is outside of it and yet filling every part of it and know that he knows your name. You are chosen of God. Point three, reverent fear. Now, those of you who know my son-in-law, John, know that he's a bit of a wit. And he asked me the other day, what the title was for what I was speaking about this morning. So I told him it was serving God with reverent fear. And he really made me laugh because he suggested that the reverent fear was an unfortunate name for an Anglican vicar. I assured him that it was reverent with a T and not reverent with a D. But 1 Peter 1 says, we should be living our lives here in reverent fear because God will judge each man's work impartially. Now, fearing God doesn't mean being afraid of him, but having respect, being in awe of him. Reverent means adoring. And the Bible is full of the benefits of fearing God. Psalm 25, verses 12 to 15. Who then is the man who fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way chosen for him. He will spend his days in prosperity and his descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confides in those who fear him. Psalm 31, verse 9. How great is your goodness, you, which you have stored up for those who fear you. Psalm 34, verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he will deliver them. We like to think of God as a God of love, and so he is. Love is what he is, not just what he does. But focusing on the sacrificing God of love, we may lose sight of his holiness. And I'm not sure that in today's thinking that holiness is considered a virtue. If we said to people outside of the church that we are a holy people, they'd be thinking holier than thou, pious, thinking of ourselves as superior, which is not the image we want to project, and nor is it the truth. We are sinners saved by grace. We tend to think of God, of God's holiness as being morally perfect. But in the Bible, Holiness is much more than this. We thought this morning of God being the only one who could create a universe of such amazing beauty. God is utterly unique, completely other, distinct from his creatures, and that's what holiness is. It's an otherness. Now, there are those in churches who think that you can comfortably add God to your life 
with little or no change to the way that you live or the way that you conduct yourself. But Jesus called people to repentance, which means a radical change for the people who would trust and obey God. Now, the religious people of the day were shocked when Jesus' disciples didn't wash their hands before eating. Now, this wasn't the usual hygienic you know, washing of hands that we would all do to be clean of germs and dirt. This was a ceremonial washing of hands. And they had come to regard their definition of clean more highly than God had said in Scripture. But Jesus said it wasn't what went into a man's body that made him unclean, but what came out of his heart. Evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, greed, malice, lewdness, slander, arrogance and folly. All these evils make a man unclean. The religious people thought that they could just go through some sort of ritual or ceremony and that they would be clean without changing on the inside. But religion doesn't change anybody. There has to be a change of heart. Now, the only way that we as sinful people could approach a holy God would be for us to be morally pure, which we are not. So in the Old Testament, people approached God by following lots of rules from the book of Leviticus and making animal sacrifices. For example, they weren't allowed to touch a dead body or anyone with skin diseases like leprosy, or else they in turn would become unclean. But when Jesus came, he is God's holiness in a bodily form. So when Jesus touched a dead person or a leper, instead of Jesus in turn becoming unclean, the person was made clean. They were brought back to life or they were healed. They became clean. See, the Lord Jesus imparts, he gives to us his holiness when we surrender the control of our lives to him and he comes into our lives. We are to be holy like God our Father who calls us to be holy. Only his children are able to do so by his grace and through the work of the Holy Spirit within us. Now, I'd like to ask the band if they would come back up now as I come to the conclusion. There are those preachers who sometimes listen to people on the internet or listen to podcasts, and they would appeal to the masses by preaching that God wants us to be happy and that he wants to bless us and give us everything that we need and everything's going to be all right and it's going to be wonderful. It's not popular to say that God wants us to be holy. However, it is holiness that sets us apart in an ungodly world. And I have to say this is an increasingly ungodly world that we live in. We are to be holy in our conduct, not just here on Sundays, but all the time. And you know, sometimes it's really just the little things. Do you know if you ever go, if you self-scan in the supermarket and you put something through and it says, thanks, that's scanned, please place it in the bagging area. And you know very nicely it didn't scan because you can see on the screen that it hasn't been added. And you could get away with it. But I think, no, you see, the, the machine doesn't know, the staff don't know, but I would know and God would know. So, you know, you, it's doing the honest thing. It's doing the right thing, even in the little things in life. So we are to be holy by not living the way we used to live before, before we were saved. We march to the beat of a different drum. We are to be holy by imitating Jesus, thinking, what would Jesus do? And this means, first of all, coming to know him, putting our trust in the finished work on the cross, 
accepting God's offer of salvation through Jesus Christ. And if you haven't already done that, if you would just speak to one of the leaders here today, they would be able to point you in the right direction. Then we are to be holy by being obedient to God's word. It's what the Bible calls sanctification. We are to be holy by obeying God's word, finding out what he desires from us, which means reading the Bible and then doing what it says. So, serving God with reverent fear. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Galatia, through love, serve one another. Through love, serve one another. And if we can do that, if our service is motivated by love for God and love for each other, then I think we won't go very far wrong. This is the end of this message. We hope you enjoyed it. If you want to find out more about our church, please visit www.chowdean.org.uk and please take a minute to rate our podcast on iTunes.